Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, as always, Liam Edwards, and thank you for joining me for the 55th episode of the show. And to once again ship another Vital Games industry member off to a new deserted island that's just opened up in the realm of Final Games. I'm very excited to say that finally, after almost a year of trying, I've managed to keep my guest of this week in one place long enough to finally banish them away to their own deserted island. I think it's relatively easy to say that these days, without much disagreement, that my guest this week has become one of the most influential voices in video games, especially in indie game development. After dropping out of a game design course with a friend, my guest decided to start designing and developing his own games, as well as co-found his own company. This led to the creation of his company's first game, a shoot 'em up title named Super Crate Box. Under the company name Vlambeer, my guest and his friend have gone on to develop titles such as the wildly successful Ridiculous Fishing, the excellent Luftrausers, and one of their most recent titles, the top-down shooter Nuclear Throne, just to name a few. My guest's games are both critically and incredibly successful, and this is without mentioning the work my guest does outside of actual development, such as consultancy, conference talks and presentations, and also finding the time to create game creation tools such as PressKit and Distribute, which both help indie developers to keep on top of certain aspects of releasing their games. My guest has won multiple awards over the years, too many to name in fact, and spends a large chunk of his time traveling the world meeting developers and games industry members from all corners of the globe. I'm very honored to say that joining me this week is the incredible and very lovely Mr. Rami Ismail. Hello, Rami. Wow. That way, the last seven years of my life sound very meaningful. <laughs> and I, need you to do, I, need, I need to record that part of the podcast for myself and just play it if I'm ever feeling a bit down or something. <laughs> well, uh, that is my gift to you for joining me today. <laughs> thank you. It's also uh, my I, apology for banishing you to an island at the end of yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say that that's kind of unfortunate because I really like the traveling part. But hey, maybe it's a really big island and I can still travel around a lot. Well, we will get to what the island is in a little bit, so you, you could, we can sort of work something out in regards to oh, that. But perfect. Remy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm finally very excited to have you on the show. Um, how are you been, doing today? Uh, yeah, no, it's been quite a while since we started to try to set up this. I'm, I'm yeah. good. Uh, I'm in the Netherlands, which, which helps because um, that means I have spare time. Um, <laughs> So each each I, time I we know. talk, each time we talk, I'm, I'm like, Rami, which time zone are you on these days? You're like, I'm always on the same one, Liam. It's Rami standard time. I, That's that just my time changes zone. a lot. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm good. It's, uh, it's a lovely day out here in the Netherlands and uh, it's a calm day. It's, there's not too much happening. I have a bunch of work that is wrapped up for now and I'm looking at a bunch of extra work that I'm going to start working on on Monday. So it's one of those nice weekends where i'll get to hang out with the family and play some video games so i'm very excited excellent the best kind of weekends yeah so rami i'm extremely excited to um finally catch you i know you're a very busy person so we're just gonna sort of get straight into it um what i'm interested to know is uh from what i've read about you and how you sort of started obviously you always had an interest in making games and that kind of thing but you actually dropped out of a game design course um yeah to make games can you explain a little bit about that decision, I think, that started all yeah. of this crazy roller coaster that is your life right now? Well, so, so what happened is when I was very young, when I was, I think, like six years old, my, my dad got our first computer, and it was the uh, second-hand computer from, from an uncle of ours. 
Okay. And when we got the computer, there was an engineer because, you know, you, you need to back those to, to make sure a computer would work. An engineer came, came uh, along to install some stuff that my dad would need for work. And one of the things the engineer installed was this uh, user interface. And it wasn't Windows, uh, but it was better than MS-DOS, right? You didn't have to type commands. You could just okay. use the arrow keys to select things. But one of the things I'm very thankful for is the engineer forgot to remove the back to MS-DOS prompt button. So I went to the MS-DOS prompt and I started looking around. And one of the things uh, I quickly found after learning to navigate MS-DOS was that you could boot something up called QBasic. And it was a programming tool uh, for the basic programming language. And it came with a bunch of tutorials, one of them called Gorillas. And Gorillas was effectively, uh, you know, the, the Scorch game with the tanks where you shoot, you shoot at each other by entering like an angle and a velocity. Oh, yeah. You, you know those? It's, it's basically like that, but with Gorillas throwing explosive bananas. <laughs> so kind of, um, was it a clone of a game, that kind of game then? Yeah, absolutely. But it was a tutorial, right? It was, okay. a, it was a basic tutorial to help people understand how QBasic works. So despite not speaking English, uh, the fact that me and my brother played that game all the time meant that I was staring at the code all the time. And eventually I realized that in the code was all the text from the main menu. So I decided to delete all that and replace it with my own name. And then the next time I booted up the game, it booted up to my name. <laughs> so I was hooked, right? I thought this was brilliant. So I, I started changing other things, breaking the game, crying, going to my dad, getting a new disc with a copy of the game from his work. Uh, that disc became one of my most prized possessions for a while as I continuously destroyed the code. Um, <laughs> but slowly but certainly, despite not understanding what if or else meant as words in English, uh, I started to understand what they did as programming abstracts. Yeah, uh, And I didn't know I was programming. I just knew that if I changed this word to that, the, the little sun in the background would change color or something like that, right? So I, I was hooked and then I just kind of kept doing that throughout my life. And eventually at some point, you know, life, life's, life comes at you and you have to make a choice about what you want to do in the future <laughs> as a job. Yes. And uh, I, I could honestly, you know, being... Being a half Egyptian with, uh, you know, a feel for programming and, and engineering and computers, uh, usually in, in Egyptian culture, because my dad is Egyptian, my mom is Dutch, uh, the expectation is that you become a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. And clearly engineer for me would be the best option. But I really wanted to be a game developer. <laughs> so I convinced my dad that game development is an engineering job. And then told my mom that I wanted to make video games. And both of them were very worried, but both of them supported that. So I went to a school in, in Utrecht in the Netherlands, uh, a game design focused school. And there I met the most obnoxious human I've ever met, I think. Um, it was 8 a.m. in the morning. I was on the train to school because public transport in the Netherlands is all trains. Uh, and I was talking about this game that I was releasing, uh, well, technically that a company I was freelancing or, or volunteering for uh, was releasing. And um, I, I was talking about how that launch went and that I was very proud uh, with a bunch of friends in that train. And suddenly that guy on the other side of the train 
asked if I could shut up because it was 8 a.m. and he really didn't want to talk about video games. Uh, so that's how I met my co-founder. Um, and um, yeah, so we went to school together and the first year everything was awesome. Everything was great. Like you were learning so many perspectives about games that you would never do on your own as a programmer. Obviously, my focus had always been code and I was forced to look at, you know, art and audio and uh, writing and team management and all of these, um, all of these like different and softer skills uh, in many cases that I hadn't thought of as part of game development, right? Like the games I made were mostly code based and art. I, you know, I downloaded a, a bad 3D modeling tool and just made my own spaceships because spaceships are, you know, cubes and triangles, so they're easy to make in a 3D modeler. Yeah. Um, and if I wanted to make a planet, I can just program a, a sphere, right? So yeah. I, I never, really, never really thought of art and audio as intrinsic to game development until I went to that school, and I learned so much in that first year, and it was, it was genuinely a large part of how I became the developer I am today. Because I do, I do genuinely believe that as an indie, you do need to understand at least what good art and good audio and, and good writing and you know good team management and all that, what, what that looks like and how you can communicate about it. So I'm yeah. very thankful for the first year. The only problem is that like a lot of game development programs, that school was in a continuous flux about their curriculum. So when we were done with their first year, they started on a new curriculum, which meant that they basically ignored everything we did in the first year because they didn't have a second year yet uh, for the new curriculum. We were basically, you know, guinea pigs. And um, yeah, it was awful. So on the side, I started my own project and I enlisted 15 of the best students from the school, not just from my year, but from the entire school. And um, one of them ended up being that obnoxious guy. Um, <laughs> because, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain this, because I, I often say that I don't like JW, right? That we don't, we don't see, see, we don't see eye to eye, me and my co-founder. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing is a lot of people believe that to be like a marketing thing or like a brand thing, but it's genuinely true. And I think the best way to explain why I work with him, why I work with JW is one day, um, in the lab, which was like the common computer room, uh, he walked up to me. He's like, "Hey, Brahmi, you should you should play this." And I'm like, "Okay." And he's like, "It's it's a little prototype I made, and it was called If you really wanted, you can fly." And it was it looked bad. It looked as bad as all the 300 games he made during that year. He made a lot of games, but all of them were just not good, or unfinished, or unpolished. Sometimes there was an interesting idea, but it was never good. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'll play one of your, I'll play one of your prototypes. So there's this little guy on a building, and he said, press space bar to fly. And I'm like, okay, but he's like, but you gotta really want it. I'm like, okay. So I press space bar, and my guy falls off the flat, and dies in a giant crater. Right. And there's this terrifying like ah scream in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, uh, that didn't work. He's like, no, 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 retry. I'm like, okay. So. I press the space bar again and the same thing happens. And then he says, try again, come on. So third time I mash the space bar, right? And suddenly this arrow starts growing and I wait until the arrow is really big and I let go. And the character does the exact same thing, but now with an enormous velocity to the right. 
Yeah. So but it's the like entire time he's yeah the entire time he's still screaming and eventually he still dies in the crater. So I'm like okay, so I hold the space bar and now the arrow starts moving up and down. Right, it starts aiming upwards and yeah. from from straight forward to upwards in like a, in a timed <clears> motion. <throat> So I, I do that and I mash the spacebar button after it gets the right angle and I fly up and I fly up into the sky and eventually, you know, I realize that I'm not coming back down again and I'm, I look at him and he looks at the screen and I look at the screen and the sky slowly starts turning black and eventually I'm in space and I'm floating and I'm like, I look at him again and he looks at the screen. So I look back at the screen and suddenly my character starts suffocating because obviously he's in space. Yeah. <laughs> so my character suffocates and dies. And I look at JW and I'm like, you know what? I think this is, I, I don't think, I think you're messing with me. Right? I don't think there's a solution. He's like, no, come on. Just look at the screen and focus. I'm like, what does that mean? Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I'm so annoyed by this guy right now. And I just stare at the screen sort of defeated. And then suddenly the character starts flying and there's this victory music. And I'm like, what? I, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out, does he have like a, you know, does that, does he have a button that he can press like a Bluetooth device or something? Or is there a camera that is like doing face recognition or what is, how, how is this possible? Until I realized that there's literally just a timer, right? <laughs> the game just waits for like seven, seven, eight seconds. And if you do nothing during those seven, eight seconds, your character starts flying. So I get it. But I'm really impressed by how this guy has predicted every possible course of action for me and made me go through them in a very specific order. He knew exactly what I was going to do before I did it. Right. So as I get up, I, I sort of like defeatedly, jokingly press the spacebar button again. Right. I just kind of mash it like, OK, you win. And as uh, the moment I do that, the character stops flying, falls, and dies in a crater with the scream again. So at that mo moment, I just I realized that you know he wasn't making good stuff, but he was certainly a good designer. Interesting so ideas. I, yeah, interesting ideas. Very good at, at executing on the core of it. Yeah. Uh, so when I when I decided to start that big project, I wanted him aboard. So I started that big project that went well for about uh, six, seven months, and then school had to shut it down because they needed those 15 students I selected for their external projects because they do external projects as part of the internship program. Oh, okay. um, and I wanted those students to work on my project, which by that time was greenlit for Xbox Live Arcade. So it was a big deal. Uh, yeah, um, it seems a bit bigger of a deal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, school killed it. Uh, because, you know, as a student, you tend to sign contracts that say that all of your work made at school is owned by school until you graduate. Yeah. So um, they played that card. Uh, they killed the project. I apologized to Microsoft and I quit school. And then there was one other guy that also decided to quit school. And of all the people, it was JW. <laughs> so uh, we stared at each other and went, well... You know, JW, you're not good at finishing a game. I'm not good at starting a game. How about we, for now, we take this one prototype called Crates from Hell and we turn it into a real game. And that turned into Super Crate Box. <laughs> it's such a, such a almost manifest destiny type story. Um... It, sometimes <laughs> it feels like it. And yeah, I'm not... I'm not quite sure if there's any other circumstance in which the two of us would have worked together. So, 
it worked out. It did. It's well, obviously now we're talking and um, you know you highlight the seven years of the intro. It very much has worked out, and obviously you are now sort of the co-founder of Vlambeer, one of these sort of um, <clears throat> highlights within the indie game development world oh, as a, you. you know a successful company. Um, and as I said, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So yeah. I think it definitely has worked out for you, Rami. <laughs> and that's an incredibly interesting story as well. Um, also, the honesty. I, I, I really like the honesty about how you and JW sort of felt about each other then and even sort of now not seeing eye to eye, but having that sort of mutual agreement about what your strength was and what his strength was, as well as what your weakness was and his weakness. Um, so yeah, that's a really interesting story. <laughs> I think a lot of it comes down to respect. I don't think you have to like each other as long as you respect each other. And I respect JW's work immensely um, and his person too. So um, yeah, it's actually quite easy to work together because I think a lot of game development suffers from not, not being critical enough about each other's work. Maybe you liking so, each other too much that you feel like if you do criticize someone, you'll, I don't know, hurt, hurt their, feelings their feelings or yeah. de demoralize them to an extent and they won't want to Never work have with that you. worry. Never have that worry with JW. I'll <laughs> just yell at him. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, pro that's probably in a testament to why you guys have been so incredibly successful within this industry Who knows? as well. Maybe. <laughs> but, Rami. We are here to talk about video games um, alongside sort of your views personally as a designer on these video games. Um, so why don't we s sort of jump into it? I, I regret to be the one to send you to a deserted island and banish you away from the world, but uh, it's going to have to happen, unfortunately. At least I'll be away from JW. <laughs> <laughs> at, least th at least there is that. <laughs> so Rami, why don't we jump into your final games and let's listen to some music from this first game. And let's dive straight into it. So, Rami, kicking off your eight games that you have chosen for final games, um, initially when I asked you to give me your list, um, you were asking questions about how you can have internet and that kind of thing, and um, when you came back to me with your list earlier, uh, you'd broken it down into segments which I'd never seen anyone do before, which is, uh, we obviously have the idea of, do you choose games for nostalgia, or do you choose games for practicality reasons that maybe have lots of replayability so you can sort of survive the idea of being stuck on a deserted island um but you broke it down into games that you would play daily games that you would play monthly and games that you would play yearly which is not some something anyone has done before um which i find really intriguing so kicking off your list is one of the first games that you chose 
and put under the bracket daily. So I think that sort of needs no introduction that this is a game you are going to be playing daily. And that game is a game called Transport Tycoon, which was initially yep. developed by Chris Sawyer and published by Microprose back in 1994 for the MS-DOS. Um, but I imagine that's not the one you're taking. And uh, the one that you're actually taking is the Android and iOS version? I, I, would may, I would probably take the PC version, but you're right. I would not take that one. I would take, the, um, I would take a, a current version that's called OpenTTD or Open, Open Transport, okay. Tra Transport Tycoon Deluxe. It's, a, it's sort of an open source project to keep the game alive. Um, and it has a lot of improvements and like little, little conveniences over the old one. It still yeah. needs the old, the original game's data files to run. So, uh, so you have to a, own the game to be able yeah, to run it. Because this, this is a fan-made project, right? This is uh, the original game was a was a real project, but OpenTDD yeah. is a is, is a fan-made project. Yeah. yeah. So, um, why is this the first game that you're taking with you? And is this a game that you actually do play daily? So I don't play it daily at the moment, but I spend a long a large part of my life playing this game daily. Uh, it was one of those games that worked back on my MS-DOS computer, um, and I would play for hours with my brother. Um, and, and one of the fun parts is like, it's a game where you manage a, a infrastructure um, company. So you build roads and, and railroads and, you know, uh, airports and, and docks and it's these giant uh, randomly generated worlds with cities that you can help grow or invest in. I don't. It was like, it was quite complex and quite fun to play around with. And I think one of the most fun things was to build super intricate railway systems that you know had like signs and uh, had interlocking parts and like figuring out your hub and stuff like that. It, it really evolved as you were playing from trying to build your first road to trying to manage the major cities in the world and their infrastructure. And I always yeah. thought it was really fun. And one of the most fun things was if you're playing multiplayer, you could sort of get in each other's way. If you build a railway somewhere, then the other player would have to build a bridge over it, which would be more expensive. Um, so you could really mess with other players just by putting stuff in their way. Um, <laughs> so that was really fun. But I think one of the things that really, that really stuck with me is that it's a very, it's in many ways a very chill game. There's no real worries. I mean, sure, sometimes something will go wrong or an opponent will, you know, take a city that you were really interested in, but then you just go somewhere else. And every now and then I pick the game up again and I play it for, for weeks on end, right? I'll boot it up and just, you know, build one real way and then shut it back down again. Yeah. And I think it's, I almost play it like an idle game, but, you know, like a game, like one of those clickers where you only have to do something every like few days. Yeah, just a few hours. boot it up and lay down a road and then turn it off and, <laughs> and yeah. then the next day come and back and expand upon that. That, that's a lot of how I played it. And I feel like uh, for a lot of people, games like that are more like um, like Civilization. You know, games games that do a similar style of you don't really need to pay 100% attention to it all the time. You just do your thing and then you can effectively go again. Um, Transport Tycoon for me is that game. So uh, I was thinking about whether I should put 
civilization on there, but I think I think Transport Tycoon for me would would have a bit of that nostalgia that you were talking about. Yeah, um, and and I can't wait to build you know to spend the rest of my life building the most intricate railway system the game has ever seen. So I was going to ask about that because you are someone who has traveled to an unholy amount of countries across the world and from various cultures and various infrastructures and all that kind of thing. Is there sort of, as you said earlier when you were talking about when you went to school in Holland, you have sort of trains. That's your only sort of public transport. Is there sort of a country you would be modeling your infrastructure, your intricate design railways after? Oh, absolutely, the Netherlands. This country, the Netherlands as a country is, in, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best public real, uh, real, well, just public transport systems, honestly, buses, trains, uh, even like boats for the little distances that you can use boats in the country. All of it is well built, all of it is cheap, all of it is on time. It's one something the Dutch like to complain about a lot, but everything in the Netherlands is so good that you know, you need something to complain about. So in the <laughs> Netherlands, it's like, if our, my fiance, um, Adriel Wallach, she's a game developer and she organizes Train Jam. Yes, she does US. indeed, yeah. But um, when she came to the Netherlands originally from the US, uh, one of the things she pointed out that I had never noticed is that the fastest way to frustrate somebody from the Netherlands is for the train to be even a second late. Like 20 seconds before the train is supposed to depart, if the train is not there, every Dutch person on the platform will start staring at their watch, like sighing <laughs> and pacing around, because it's just not okay for a train to be late in it's the Netherlands. It's really interesting you say that because uh, having moved to Japan a few years ago, I live. Japan is very similar to the Netherlands in regards to transport being one of the most incredible things and it always being on time and having been someone who came from the UK where our <laughs> where the UK transport is absolutely the most abysmal <laughs> in the entire world it's so bad uh, that being late is just a normal way of life in the UK to now being in Japan where uh, you are right like now I live in Japan and if a train is even like a minute two minutes late I'm like is it, is it not coming? Is it, it has, has there been a crash? It's just it's yep. so not normal. It's unexpected. It's it's funny because the UK always makes me laugh because in the Netherlands I wonder whether the train will be on time and in Britain I I hope that the train <laughs> will come. It's like well, did I miss a sign at the entrance that says the district line is out? What did I? What what happened? Where's the train? <laughs> The train just vanished into yeah, another portal. <laughs> it, it sounds probable, to be honest. It's just now it's elsewhere. I just, I, it, it's funny because it, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And thinking back to all those times I've been late or I've missed a connection or anything, any such thing in the UK. When I being here in Japan, I just don't understand why it is the way it is. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's a British mentality to make it not better i don't <laughs> but in japan it just seems to work and i imagine it's the same in the netherlands it just works right and you just expect I, it to I, yeah I don't understand why in the uk it just doesn't i think a, lo a large part of it might just be how modern the systems are i think the netherlands has always kind of been good but i think we were forced to back in back in the days when the netherlands were sort of the trading hub of the netherlands of, of europe yeah so we had to have good transport because otherwise people would just go elsewhere. 
Um, That's very true. And I think England has, I mean, it has a pretty old public transport. And obviously in, in the largest cities, a lot of problems with the amount of people that are trying to use it. So it's very likely that they just sort of got overwhelmed and didn't have time to properly fix that. I, I yeah. like New York's solution, to be honest. They just don't really put times up. It's just on this platform, there will be a train that goes in that direction in the Eventually. nearby future. <laughs> uh, and you just kind of know which platform you go to. Yeah. And then on that platform, at some point, there will be a train in the next like seven to 15 minutes. Um, oh, I kind of like that system. But uh, if you're in a rush and you have somewhere to be, it's it could it could be frustrating just because although a train might turn up in a minute, a train there is also the possibility that a train might turn up in 20 minutes and you don't know that. So you don't have the ability to tell people or any anyone maybe you work with what time you're actually going to be arriving, which could be a is little it, frustrating. It's kind of fun because it does mean that the word I'm taking the train means different things around the world. Right. In Japan, yes. it means I'm going to be exactly on time for this for this yeah. appointment. In the Netherlands, it means I'm trying to already make an excuse for being a few minutes late. And in England, it means I might not show up at all if I don't try and check all the other train stations because Pray I might have accidentally me. end up. Yeah, might have ended up in like some sort of hellscape through this portal <laughs> that is somewhere under London. Uh, but like that's kind of. Kind of the difference in, in small words like that is part of the reason I like traveling so much is just realizing those little contrasts between places. Yeah, uh, it's, it definitely puts a unique perspective on what you have in your own country or maybe in certain other areas that you maybe take inspiration from, which is great because, you know, when we're talking about a game like Transport Tycoon and you sort of have to um, look a little deeper into that world and that planning and that sort of thing, then you sort of take inspirations from different areas. So... It's going to be very yeah. handy for you when you sort of go to the deserted island. And speaking of the deserted island, I think it's about time that we move on to the next game and also talk a little bit about where it is we're going to be sending you. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. Rami, before we move on to the next game, which is the first game that you've chosen as a monthly game uh, on your list, um, we have to talk about the sort of deserted island in which we're going to send you. Um, One Uh thing I did forget to mention to you earlier, (laughs) I'm bringing this up now so your mind will run at a miles per hour thinking of an idea about this, but we don't want you to be uncomfortable. We, we, We have given you eight games to play and... 
you know, we want you to enjoy them and sort of get by where you're on the deserted island. So we allow you to choose where it is we're going to send you. And although you have traveled the world and you've been to so many places, unfortunately, uh, the place that we're going to be sending you is not real. It has to be from a video game. So it has to be a okay. sort of place or um, a space within a video game. Um, but the idea is that, obviously, it's deserted. There are not going to be any NPCs to help you out. There are not going to be any people. But if you choose a place that maybe has enemies or monsters, stuff that maybe is part of the wildlife, um, well, that could be a little dangerous. So, yeah, that is up to your discretion to choose such a place and risk it. Um, okay. So, we are going to send you. Yeah, please go ahead if you have a question. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. This is. Uh, I have to choose a place from a video game. Yes. Without without giant dragons. Exactly. Uh, so so hmm. for example, there is some of the choices we've had. We've obviously had places like Outset Island from The Wind Waker, mm -hmm. a very beautiful sort of deserted tropical island, which wouldn't be too bad. We've had Jonathan Blow's The Witness Island, although that could drive some people mad trying to figure out all those puzzles. And then we've had some crazy suggestions like the galaxies of No Man's Sky. Um there have been lots of different choices over the years. We've even had the Nostromo from Alien Isolation. So, I, mean. I, uh, I, I was thinking No Man's Sky, and then I realized that I, I didn't want no. I, I was thinking about putting No Man's Sky on my list, and then eventually I didn't because I'm already going to be on a deserted island. So that would be quite depressing to play a, play a game about being leaving. alone in space. <laughs> uh, so I think. I'm not gonna do that if even for the chance that when I arrive there it turns out to be a toxic planet. Toxic with, or know, there is acid rain and yeah. freezing. It's risky. Yeah, that's that seems like a seems like a bad idea. I mean you wanna be mm. somewhere safe when you're designing all these railways, correct? Yeah. I'll I'll have to think about this a little because you know, the first things that come to mind are like the big things, right? I'm thinking like the Citadel from Mass Effect, which is effectively a space station, but yeah, hey, so the Nostromo say, is okay. You did say at the start that you wanted to choose somewhere well, you wanted to be sent somewhere big. So it seemed like maybe you were traveling. You'd have yeah, like but, different spaces. But like the big the big problem with something like the Citadel in part is that it might be too big. If it's deserted, I might just feel like I'll have to carry around all my stuff all the time. But on the other side, I'll have stuff to explore. It which would is be nice. this big, gray, empty space, though. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a big, gray, empty space, but I get to walk into every store and say, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite store in the Citadel. <laughs> and that joke won't get old for like two months. So. Well, the only one that's going to annoy is you, so. <laughs> yeah, but if, it'll feel cool. It felt cool to Mass Effect, so. Um, yeah, I would need to. I would need to think of like a really big place that doesn't feel samey. Well, how about we start talking about your second game, and then you can Let's think a little bit about it. Well, we are going to talk about the second game then, and the second game is the first one that you put down as a monthly game. So I imagine this is a game you're going to come and play a few times a month to sort of pass the time, uh, maybe taking a break from you know being the intricate town planner that you have now become designing all this infrastructure for all these wonderful towns that you're going to make. Um, and you're going to start shooting people. And you've sort of yeah. done what some people have done a little bit and hinted at, that you've chosen a game that has lots of games on the disc. It's kind of like cheating, yeah. but it works. Because a it, was a, it was sold as a retail. <laughs> it was sold yep. as a retail thing. And um, it was developed by 343 Industries. And it w it's not just one Halo. 
It's, uh, what is it, four Halo games I think you get in this, which yep. is incredible. So the game that was released for Xbox One, not in the greatest conditions. Um, there was a lot of controversy when it was first released back in November of 2014. But of course, it yep. is the first-person shooter collection, the Halo Master Chief collection. Rami, yep. why is this your next game? Well, so here's the thing. I am a huge fan of, of Bungie's feel for movement and weapons. Right, yes. and and as a designer, but also as a, as a as a player, I genuinely believe that a good game is a game that you can still feel the controls of even after you stop playing. Right, I could blindly do the uh, the Destiny double jump right now, uh, yeah. even though I'm not holding a controller at all, just because it feels right. Like the movement feels right, the weapons feel right. And I was thinking of bringing Destiny, but then I realized that Destiny wouldn't be a lot of fun if I couldn't communicate with other people. So instead, I brought the next best, the next best thing, and that's Halo. And I'm, I've been a huge Halo fan for a long time. I'm, I'm a fan of big space opera stories, um, and I'm, I, I really like the universe of the series. So between like good gun feel, good movement, fun stories, um, there was really not much of a question that if not Destiny, then then Halo. Yeah. Um, but another reason I really like Halo is that it does come with the Forge, which is its level editor, uh, which means that secretly I get to design a bunch more games myself. Which, That's uh, really good because we have had <clears throat> we have had people on the show before. Like last week, we had Mr. Mike Bithel, obviously oh also God. a game designer, um, and one of his choices was Little Big Planet, so he could use the yep. creation tools within that. So you sort of combined your love of Halo with the ability to be able to make more levels or more games, <laughs> essentially your own make, games. Make more spaces, make more things, uh, just anything, even if it's a silly chain reaction. Uh, I, I like I like games that allow you to mess around with them a little because again me growing up a lot of a lot of the reasons I went into game development is because back in the days every game allowed you to mess with its files with its code with you know its scripts its its numbers there were cheats and consoles and stuff like that and it kind of went away it did everything's and become I, very locked down um, and I'm very sad about that. So any game that gives me a level editor nowadays is automatically okay. And if I get to play through the adventures of the Master Chief again, then absolutely. I was thinking, I was worried that you might say, well, that's a collection. So I, I even made like a mental, a mental no. list of Well, which, I was going to ask you which one is the one that if you could only choose one out of them. You have technically beat the system because it is it was released as a retail disc, so that counts. Yep. But if you could only choose one, which is the one that is sort of is the strongest for you out of the four? So I the thing is, hey, the first Halo is was for me was was the most important one, right? But I don't think it comes with a forge. Um, then in terms of of pure gameplay, I liked Halo Two best. But I dislike the story in in Halo Two um, compared to Halo One, and okay. the Halo Three was sort of it was good, but it felt a bit more sterile. It felt a bit more uh, polished, which obviously is true because by that point Halo had turned into this massive international phenomenon. Yeah, it was a triple A so, game by then. So at that, 
based on that, I would probably have to go with Halo 2. Well, luckily, you don't have to choose, and you are able to take all four. Um, nice. One thing I did want to ask is, is this going to be one of those games that you're going to be playing the multiplayer a lot? No. So I don't actually like multiplayer games all that much. Really, the only exception is Destiny, and I think a large reason for why that is an exception is because it's so collaborative. Um, I barely touch the PvP uh, because I don't like the PvP. Um, because I like I like being good at the games I play, but I like being good at games I play where I can punch the person sitting next to me. Right? Yeah. Just, you know, like that blue shield, that deserves a punch. So I'll punch <laughs> you on the shoulder. Um, or yell at you or, you know, laugh at you or whatever yeah. it is, really. Like, I like that part of multiplayer, but I don't like doing it online. Um, and it's always been a thing. I, it's been through all my life. I've always enjoyed being good at games and I've never enjoyed measuring how good I am with an online, with an online group. So yeah, I don't think I'd spend a lot of time playing, uh, playing the PVP in that. I'd probably just think around and forge and then, uh, and then play the story a lot. Which is really um, interesting because a lot of people, although Halo is this beloved franchise that has had books and podcasts and spin-offs all about it and even a movie that was in the works at some point um <laughs> the story has never been the sort of thing that people touted about um it's obviously the multiplayer and the sort of single player gameplay like the feel of the game the bungee shooter this, that's underneath the core of that i think that's a very common thing for me is is you know same thing with call of duty or titanfall or or, or battlefield a lot of people love those games for the multiplayer and really, when they come out, I, I buy them first day just to play the campaign. I love campaigns and video games. I think they're, they're some of the greatest things, um, especially for those big AAA shooters. They're some of the, the blockbuster moments of our medium. Is the spectacle. It, the... Just the pure mastery of the technology, yeah. of the graphics, of the of the flow of, of all that, like focusing players on objectives that sometimes they barely know that they've been given a hint on where to go, stuff like that, where, you know, those really big games that often get derided for being derivative or being, um, or being not that, um, Progressive, not maybe? that, yeah, progressive or original. They're not, and I think that's fine. They're not trying to be. They're trying to be spectacles. The sort of yeah. condensed five to six hour experiences that are essentially just yep. that. They are experiences that you play through. I mean, one example I think in recent times that has been sort of outstanding was Timefall Two, where I thought that yeah. campaign. Oh my was god! Incredible. That not only story wise, but also the mission sort of structure and the way it changed over the course of that that campaign was amazing it was excellent yeah. and i thought it was far better than the multiplayer personally um, it was titanfall 2 was incredibly confident the amount the amount of times they pulled out a mechanic just for one level and not like a small mechanic but like a big mechanic or, like a or, like a mechanic that a whole game could be based around quite and easily they, and they use it for its optimal value, they use it exactly right. It's like almost surgical. They're like, we're going to introduce this mechanic. We're going to slowly get you through the arc of understanding that this. We're going to give you one big challenging moment with it. And then we're done. And then it's gone. And that that's confidence right there. That's that not is. a studio that is 
looking at things and going like, okay, how can we make the safest bets? No, that's the studio being, okay, we know this is going to be great and we're going to use it exactly right and not a moment more. Nothing is going to drag. There's no extras. There's no filler. We're just going to go, go, go. Here's all the stuff. Now you've played it. That was good, right? That's yeah. kind of what the game does. It's, it doesn't exactly- even ask whether it's good at the end. It's just like, this was good. You agree. It, it's good. just like, thanks for playing. Uh, yep. Go go about your life now, and uh, yeah. having played it. Like, that's exactly yep. what it's like. Um, obviously, with Halo, you aren't going to have the the chance to play multiplayer. If you choose so, um, you know, you have a long time on this deserted place that we have to return to now, so you might be able to get good at multiplayer. I hate using the term get good, but you have a long time to try if you who knows? fancy it one day <laughs> who knows who, who so knows? we have to return now to the island i imagine yes. while thinking about all the bombastic and spectacle in those campaigns it was difficult to actually nail down this sort of island that we're going to send you to but if you sort of come to a decision on where we where you would like to be sent not yet i've been i've been um i've been furiously going through the list of games i have that have interesting islands but they're I haven't found I haven't found the one yet, um, so I'm I'm still I'm still thinking. This is a hard choice. This is this is difficult. <laughs> well, we didn't. I will allow us to move on to the next game then. Okay. Uh, and you can think a little more, but I'm not going to allow yeah. you to to dwell too much longer in case you okay. think of a perfect island in which yeah. it breaks all the rules. Because I think okay. you, you Rami would be the kind of person who would figure out such a thing. So let's move on to the next game then, which is the first game you've chosen that you've put under the category of yearly, which I'm very interested to sort of delve into that. So let's listen to some excellent music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. So the next game on Rami's list is the first that he put under the category of yearly. So I imagine this is the kind of game, Rami, that you're going to play once a year, have maybe a day, like a holiday on your deserted island in which this next game is the 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 Metal Gear Solid holiday, shall we say. Yep. <laughs> Obviously designed by the one and only Hideo Kojima and developed under Konami Computer Entertainment. It originally released on the PlayStation back in 1998. It's, of course, the action-adventure stealth game that we now have named a holiday after. It's Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> Rami, yeah. why is this the first yearly game that you're going to be playing? So, the honest truth is that that has been a tradition throughout my life, and I would be very sad to break it. Oh, this is wonderful. Uh, That's, that, I like to hear that. That is awesome. I like the idea that people have these sort of 
unwritten traditions in their lives where they go back and return to a game that they play once yeah. a year for no reason at all other than sort of sentimental value, I think. Um, yep, that's 100% it. So uh, why Metal specifically Gear Metal Gear Solid? Metal Gear Solid was the first game I ever bought with my own money. Um, before that, my parents would buy me games uh, because, you know, I was, I was a kid. Um, but when Metal Gear Solid came out, I took all 120 guilders that I got for my birthday and I went to a store and I saw the giant Metal Gear Solid cardboard box, the Metal Gear Solid Integral Edition for PC. And um, I bought it. I looked at the back of the box. I thought it was it sounded cool, and I just I just bought the thing, and then I went home, and I booted up the game, and it was just unlike anything I had ever played. It was mind-boggling. You know, at that point in life, I played Destruction Derby and you know Transport Tycoon and a whole bunch of other games, but I had never played a game that felt like a movie, right? That felt like I was the hero in in this big giant story yeah. full of intrigue and betrayal and, and, and you know, actors and uh, all sorts of like big political shifts and, and all that. And it was just, it was so overwhelming that all of this felt so real and true and, and, and genuine and correct for our world today. Like maybe somebody did build a bi a bipedal walking nuclear launch platform <laughs> robot that looks like a dinosaur somewhere in Alaska. Like that is possible. Right. And I, even though I course, would absolutely in this day and age, I would, I wouldn't even think twice about that being a real thing. That, that would so not surprise the, me. A lot of Metal Gear Solid felt like it was, it could have been real. And then there was just enough to make it a video game, like psycho mantis floating around. Um, but like, that was not real. It was not fake enough that the, you know, what was it? 10, 12 year old me looked at it and went like, that can never happen. It was, it was always just on the edge of where I could suspend my disbelief where yeah. I could just genuinely accept that. Oh my God, my, my, my hero character, uh, solid snake is dealing with all of these real life things in a, in a very realistic way. And, I look back at the game recently, and it turns out that re really Solid Snake doesn't actually have a face in those games um, because there's like three pixels that are like eyes, and that's about it. But um, it was it. I remember Metal Gear Solid every year as um, as completely 100% realistic, convincing, uh, no graphical errors whatsoever. Uh, I played the remake once for the GameCube, and I didn't like that at all because they turned Snake into some sort of superhero. Uh, I just like the original. I, I and I still play it to this to this day. I play it every year. I play. I grab. I grab Metal Gear Solid, and I play it once. Is there a certain time of year that you play it? Usually around the time when fall starts. Okay. Um. It's it's around my it's around my birthday. It's a bit before my birthday. Um. But around that time of year when, you know, outside world gets a bit dreary. Um, but before it starts to, uh, before it, it feels like winter, because then in the game looks too much like outside the game. I was going to say, when it starts snowing in the game, you don't want to, you don't want to prematurely bring winter early yeah. or <laughs> match those things up. 
Um, how have you felt that the series has sort of moved on now? Being someone who plays Metal Gear Solid every year, are you a fan of the series in general? Or is it specifically just Metal Gear Solid? Because you talk about the suspending disbelief. The series has sort of gone on to be something that people, in some parts, ridicule for being out there, being very Kojima. And yeah, I've, being I've, maybe a little unrealistic. Yeah, I think for me, um, the the main thing that I liked about Metal Gear Solid One was that towing sort of the the line between reality and and video game. And I think in Metal Gear Solid Two and and later iterations, they towed they they tiptoed around. Um, Metal Gear Solid 1's reality, right? And those are two very different realities uh, to build on. The real world doesn't have an accepted Metal Gear, Metal Gear Rex. You know, people don't know about that. So there is no response to Metal Gear Rex and the whole mercenary corporate thing doesn't work out. What I, what I like about the later Metal Gear Solids is that they tend to talk about pretty real issues or, or real sort of hypothetical futures for the world. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't love them as much as I love the first one. Uh, I'll, I'll enjoy playing them. Um, but it's not, it's not as if I look at them and go like, I really want to, I really want to play that. It's still um, a series you enjoy. It's just that Metal Gear Solid specifically was such a defining moment within playing video games for you. Yeah, I think a little bit of that, and I, I honestly think a little bit of it feels it feels real enough, um, and the other ones just less so. <laughs> That's sort of Kojima had his way and was allowed to maybe do a little and, more with his crazy ideas than he and sometimes honestly, should. It it makes for phenomenal. It makes for phenomenal games and interesting worlds. I really thought the language trick in the later Metal Gear Solids was interesting, but the the thing that the thing that made Metal Gear Solid One stand out to me so much is not in the later Metal Gear Solids, and I don't think that's a failure on Kojima's part. I just think that he took the series in a different direction. Yeah. Then, you know, he he appreciated things about Metal Gear Solid, which has a lot of things you could appreciate about it. And the things he appreciated were different from the things I appreciated. And, you know, as a designer, I can I can only look at that and respect that. It's the same so. as JW, isn't it? It's, it's maybe not your sort of idealistic way of designing, but it's the having the mutual respect for, okay, I understand why you did that. It's maybe not what I would have done, but I, I yeah, get I, I'm a very strong believer in that uh, a creator, you know, somebody who makes something has reasons to make that specific thing, right? At Vlambeer, we've never managed to make two games that are alike ever because that's just not the studio we are. When we continuously get re requests from people that are like, why don't you make a sequel to Ridiculous Fishing? Why don't you make a sequel to Gun Gods? Why don't you make... And the honest answer is just because I don't want to. Yeah. I don't feel like doing that. That's not what I'm interested in with video games. And I know a lot of people can be disappointed about about that and I, I feel don't... that that answer is not good enough but you know i would hate for people to be able to tell me what to do with my creativity yeah. and i always feel like it's only appropriate to extend that same respect to all other creators 
so I see a lot of games where I go like, oh, this was a bad decision. And then I, I, I kind of like slap myself in the face and go, listen, this decision is in the game for a reason. And I'm sure the people that worked on it really, really tried, even if it's a bad game, even if it's, it's like with very few exceptions. Most games are made by genuinely good, sincere people. Yeah, And then absolutely. it's actually more fun to figure out what happened. How did this choice end up in the game? Why, why was this choice made? I, I love looking at games through that lens and going like, okay, why is this? I, I why think not the other way? I think it's a, a sort of important part as well as like, as a designer, I don't think you ever think of a mechanic or a game style that you are like, well, now I want to base on all my games around this one mechanic. <laughs> Designers have so many ideas and you don't want to be like, well, this one is better than all the rest. So I'm just going to stick with this forever. But the funny thing is, if somebody would do that, then go for it. Like all the power to you, right? Like that's, that's kind of the thing is everybody creates in their own way. And that's lovely. And I, I, <laughs> I, I cherish that. I cherish that not all designers think like me. It's a large part of why I travel around the world is meeting people who have different histories, different cultures, different languages, different music, different movies, different everything. And I want to see their games. I want to see how they're different from mine and why they're different from mine and why yeah. they're different from the games that I've already played. Like, you know, I, I always use the example of Call of Duty where Call of Duty is a particularly Western exploration of war. It's the Western idea of we will win the war, right? Even if the chips are down, our, yeah. our heroism, our, our justness, our uh, determinism will save our world. That's Call of Duty. But then if you play a game about war from somewhere else in the world, it's generally very different. Like take a game from Poland, this war of mine. Yeah which is a phenomenal game, but it's the same thing as Call of Duty. It's an exploration of war as an expression of the cultural understanding of that place of war. And the truth is, in Poland, they don't think of war as something great and heroic. They think of it as something in which many brave people, many heroes died, in which their country was oppressed and, and conquered. Um, they don't see it as a, as a good thing. They see war as a horrifying thing. Or you play Layla, a game from Palestine, which is a game about a family of three trying to survive, you know, a, a bombardment. And that's, that's fascinating about games to me. Like, I want to learn how people see the world through games because I, yeah. uh, games are that medium. Games are the medium that can do that, that can make you feel like you're living somebody else's. I felt like the guys who random check me at airports playing Papers, Please. Right? And suddenly I went like, oh man, this must be so boring. But also there's so much pressure because if you get it wrong, oh God. And I've been the a impact lot you could have on someone's life. And just by showing them the world through somebody else's shoes, that's what games can do. So why would I play games that are made by designers who think like me? I already think like me. I don't want that. Make different games. Like Metal Gear Solid going what many would say from my perspective the wrong way is far more fascinating than doing exactly what i expected so yes please i'll play the other ones and i'll enjoy them but metal gear solid one is the one i love excellent well you can take it with you while you are going to be playing Ooh. this next game which i think is a, a good example of a, de a developer who had a great idea and an idea that was incredibly successful and then they changed 
this sort of idea completely and they designed an entire new game around an entire new system um, and it was still incredibly successful even though they could have stuck with the formula they had in their previous game. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. So jumping into your next game then, Rami, is the second game that you've chosen to play daily. This is the daily mm-hmm. game. And I think a lot of people who probably play this game will know exactly why <laughs> you've chosen it as their daily game. <laughs> it is, of course, the uh, mobile game developed by Supercell. They are the creators of Clash of Clans, which was an incredibly successful game um, that they could have just stuck with forever. But they decided mm-hmm. to make a new game that was all about sort of collecting kind of cards in combining that with tower defense to make this sort of multiplayer online battle game that released back in 2016 that has also been incredibly successful it is of course clash royale why are you taking clash royale with you so this is an interesting choice because i fully expect that game to only work as a game for maybe a year or two right because after that, eventually, the, the service will shut down, the company will move on, the player base will move on. So it's sort of the most depressing choice I've made is this, this uh, connection to the real world through a, a multiplayer versus game. But the thing I love about Clash Royale is the, there is an almost upsetting level of mastery in in the design of that game like the yeah. character the the units the but also the variability of the units the way you can use the same unit in multiple ways how you can affect what they do by placing it slightly elsewhere on the map even though their behavior never changes there is so much depth and and precision in clash royale that i think i would bring it even if only to boot up to the uh, to the little opening jingle and then get the server error, you know, because the server has shut down 20 years into the future. Um, <laughs> I think even just that would be, would be a good reminder of why I love video games. Um, because I played Clash, Clash Royale almost religiously for, for months when it came out. And I've been playing it less... Um, mostly because there's just too much other stuff to do and Clash Royale took over my life, so that's not good. Um, <laughs> but now you're free. But, you're free of the yeah, bonds of real life. Your, no, your deserted island life is all about video games, so you are free yep. and guilt-free to do so. 
so that's fine. Uh, that works for me. Um, but I think the um, the way a lot of that game was built around you know its own little feedback loop and the way you could play games as much as you want, but it's only really useful for a certain amount of time a day. Like there was a lot of very smart and very progressive looks at not just you know design of the game, but also at the business model, how free to play is going to evolve. Uh, a lot of interesting experiments with you know multiplayer. Uh, with live streaming, which I will never participate in again because I'm on an island. Um, <laughs> you know, like all of these little little reminders of what the um, what the dream of video games was. So at the moment, I was banished towards that island. Uh, a lot of those are in this game, and in many ways, in some of the other games I've I've selected. But um, I think that's important to me. I think it's important to me that I realized that I didn't you know, the, the 28 years I had in the not deserted world, um, that I spent those on something that I genuinely believed in. And I think just, just the jingle of Clash Royale would make me remember, um, you know, that, that why I care. Um, this game is incredibly accessible. It's really fun. It's really clever. Uh, it's, it's what I like. It's what I like about games. It's, a way for people to play together and not to yell at each other, which is nice. It's an online game where you have like eight things you can say, but it's really more than enough. So, Well, yeah. I'm happy that if you're okay with banking your one very precious spot out of eight on a eventually just a jingle, and that will bring you sort of peace on the island, <laughs> I'm happy with that. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I think Clash Royale doesn't really need any explanation. Right now, that is a kind of game that you know exactly what you're getting in for, right? It's like a... a I can't remember what the timer is. I think it's two minutes. Um, yeah, it's, it's two it's minutes, two and, you know, two minutes just, and a bit. You're just jumping in for two minutes, doing your best. It's, it's not really that stressful. You can't... In two minutes, I don't think you can reach the peak of stressfulness that maybe games that are battle games like League of Legends and stuff like that can reach over a long period of time. And then one day when they do shut off the servers and the Supercell have shown they've moved on from one very successful game to another, they're bound to do the same again eventually. Um, I'm cool that that jingle will bring you some peace, Rami, on the island. So that's great. Good. <laughs> I mean, it's, we... a, gam it's oh. a gamble because the alternative is obviously that the jingle will make me very sad. In that which is... case, I'll just remove it from my phone. Which seven games is more than enough. Well, you you, you don't want to remove it because you wouldn't be able to download it again. So you no, just, I know, but just keep if it the there. server is down and the jingle makes me sad, I would probably remove it. <laughs> that is up to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rami, we're going to move on to your next game now. But before we do that, how's the island thinking? How's the how's I found the it. you found it? Perfect. I found it. So it's, where it's, is it? Where is it? It's not a big island, but. Um, it is a nice island. It's um, it's the island from Proteus. Okay, the wonderful sort of uh, pixel walk through. Yes. Okay. I I started thinking about it, and what I want on an island is I want places to go. I want to be able to create a contrast if if I need to, and I want to have a place that I can live in. 
So Proteus offers, it's a small island where there's a bunch of stuff to explore. But on the island is usually a house that I could live in. And there's this sort of magical circle that isn't entirely magical. But if you stand in it, the seasons change. That would be delightful. That would be so lovely. I could, so I don't have to travel, but I can change where I am when I need it to. Yeah, it, you know, sometimes it can be frustrating to live somewhere that's always hot or somewhere like the UK, which is always raining. Um, yep. That Having that variety and be able to change the seasons on how you're feeling, obviously this is kind of the reverse of seasonal defective uh, <laughs> disorder. So you actually control your mood <laughs> yep. by changing the seasons. But I think that's a delightful choice. Good. I'm happy. It's uh, it. It took me a while, but you know, at, in thinking about it, I suddenly thought of 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 you know places to live, and I had to think of Etki for a reason. I don't exactly remember why. Uh, and then I thought Proteus. Proteus it can create contrast, and contrast is what I need to feel happy. So um, that place that place would work. Well, Rami, I'm going to be not so sad about sending you there now because you seem quite content with the idea of going there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so let's listen to some music from this next game and then let's dive straight into it. So the next game that you are going to be playing, Rami, on the island of Proteus and sort of changing the seasons along with how you're feeling is a racing game. And it's an arcade racer that was developed by BlackRock Studios and published by Disney Interactive, which I don't think many people knew about uh, this game's tie to Disney at the time. It released yeah. on all sorts of platforms of the last generation, obviously PC, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360. There was even like an on-live port. Do you remember on-live? Oh, wow. God, yeah. Yeah, there was an on-live version. I think that thing never worked. <laughs> so rest <laughs> in peace on-live. It released back in 2010. It's split-second or split-second yeah. velocity if you live in Europe. Um, yeah. Rami, why is this uh, on your list? This seems a bit of a out-there choice. Yeah, I think I th and I, I have to say uh, this is also a strange one, um, but I think so. For for a large part of my life, I never had a console, right? So Mario Kart for me as a game was always a thing I would play at friends, and then by okay. the time I had a console, there was no real Mario Kart coming out that I felt was good or fun playing. Um, because probably in my mind, I'd build it up a bit too much, right? 
um, that owning Mario Kart would instantly mean that I would have a good time because I always had that with my friends. <laughs> but in reality, it was just sort of a it was an okay racer um, hey, that hey, I hey, enjoyed, hey, but hey, didn't watch love. your words now. <laughs> so here's the thing: I was waiting for a Mario Kart esque game that wasn't Mario Kart, and I have to say the recent Mario Karts are all lovely, but there was like a little a little lull in the series where it just it didn't it didn't appeal to me. Okay. Um, and then all of a sudden, after years and years of waiting, this game these these two games come out in like pretty much the same month. Um, Blur which yes. was a racing game, and Split Second. And they basically killed each other. Uh, both of them didn't do super well. Um, Disney canceled, Disney canceled uh, the sequel for Split Second, and I think Blur never got a sequel. No. Um, because I think that studio also got shut down. Um, uh, yeah, it was but, bizarre, wasn't it? Was it bizarre? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was... It was it was a super sad situation because I think a lot of people were waiting for combat racers and then both of them took half of the market, which for neither of them was enough. Um, so it's really interesting because when you started talking about Mario Kart, the game I had in my mind was Blur. Like yeah. that's the one everyone references when they talk about a mature Mario Kart combat battle thing. I never really put Split Second in that same bracket. I didn't really realized that kind of game it was that kind of game i thought it was more of a sort of need for speed type game i didn't realize that so here's here's the, th the way it works if you drift draft or otherwise do tricks jump stuff like that you you build up power and if you build up power you have a power bar that has three thirds that you can fill up and if you fill up any of those thirds if there's a car in front of you near something explosive you can press the button and that thing will explode and the explosion will, if the car is too close to it, will destroy the car, which means they have to respawn and that, you know, start at zero miles an hour, zero kilometers an hour. Yeah. Um, but if it's nearby, it will mostly just, you know, the shockwave will blast the car out of, its, out of its original trajectory and they'll have to steer and fix it or they might crash into a wall, right? So a lot of it is if you are not in first place, causing spectacular explosions before you. And if you are in first place, it's last minute dodging of explosions and continuously fixing the trajectory of your car. Um, but even better, if you manage to save up enough of your power and fill up all three thirds of the bar and full, fill up the entire bar, you get a, what they call a superpower play. And that power play, that if you press the button at that point, at certain points in the map, you will cause enough destruction that the level changes. So you can blow up the... Um, for example, there's a, there's a level on an airport, and if you blow up the traffic tower, uh, it will block off the original route of the level, and now you have to go over the landing strip. Okay. And then, and, you know, obviously there's stuff there, but... If you keep doing that, there will be an airplane landing. If you do it in the second lap, there will be an airplane landing in the third lap, which would also be landing if you didn't use the power play, but then you wouldn't be on the landing strip, and now you have to dodge a landing airplane, <laughs> right? So all of these levels have all sorts of interesting branches that can happen that 
you know, are triggered by these power plays. But the thing that gets me about the game is just the moment-to-moment -moment of it feels really good. And there's no place where there's more true than this one... Um, this one sort of multiplayer mode that they have, and it's a split screen mode, but you can you could technically just play it without a second player. Um, where you drive around a lap, just a course, you know, like a simple course. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's these trucks that you're trying to overtake, these giant trucks that are uh, sort of in your way, and um, the way you the way you overtake them includes dodging explosive barrels that get thrown out of the truck. Okay, so they, they, they're falling kind of almost Final Destination-like out of the back of this truck, and you have to sort yep. of maneuver around them. Okay. It's super intense, it's super fun, it's super tight. It's probably the best part of the entire video game is that mode. Just drifting, drafting, dodging. It's really intense, it's really fun. It feels like an action movie. So there's this entire racing game that I could play if I feel like doing something really fast. And then if I feel like effectively playing a mini, mini, mini rogue light, 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 I could play the... <laughs> I see how play... far you can progress each time. Just boot it up yep. and see how far you can get or whatever the your highest score could possibly be. Exactly. It's really interesting because BlackRock Studios, the creators of Split Second, had like a long history of making like only racing games. So their yeah. pedigree was making racing games. And, you know, they made Pure, which was one of the very early PlayStation 3 sort of ATV style off-road racing. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a shame to see like such a sort of change <clears throat> in their bread and butter in terms of like making like realistic type of races into creating this kind of really cool game that had these interesting ideas and then unfortunately being not as successful as it probably should have been yep no it's it's and it's one of the things one of the movements in the industry that always worries me a lot of studios are consolidating into larger studios um yeah, I mean, it is it is how the industry is evolving right now. But. I mean, like, I don't want to date this episode too much, but we saw just only yesterday that IO. who would have thought IO Interactive with yeah. Hitman being such an in incredibly, well, especially critically successful game last year, um, yeah. <coughs> Square Enix yeah. sort of just dropping those guys it well, is I mean, you have kind to, of scary. You have, to, you have to imagine that Square had a really good year, so a okay game might not be enough. Um, for the for the stockholders uh, for the shareholders um, to to be happy with. I mean that's the reality of the industry in in a lot yeah. of ways. Is good isn't good enough anymore, and it, this is gonna like that that attitude eventually is gonna come back to bite us. But um, when when you see stuff like that, being someone who is not not the owner of a large studio but a, definitely a successful studio in a sort of space where you can make your own decisions and you're not sort of some i know you've done work for other publishers and stuff like that in the past um when you see stuff like what happens with io interactive um how, how does it make you feel in terms of your how you run your business and your side of the games industry well, I mean, for, for me, I think a large part is of this response is just I feel I feel sad because I understand what happened, right? Like, I understand why Square Enix makes this decision. And yeah. again, I don't believe people make decisions out of malicious intent. 
Square Enix genuinely deci decided that this is the right way to go. But IO did a phenomenal job and did great work. And honestly, they they deserve to make more stuff. The and the brand of IO deserves to exist because it is honestly it's it's a brand that especially with Hitman now it just feels like it has potential. That team feels like it has potential. Um, so really, the you get like the sad sort of this is the way the world works feeling. Yeah. Um, and it and it mostly just you know, um, it encourages it, me to keep Vlambeer small and to keep it maneuverable and flexible and to keep it under our control. And a lot of people ask us why we don't, you know, do investments or allow our studio to grow. And the honest truth is I enjoy what I do and I don't want to be, I don't ever want to be stuck in that situation if I can avoid it. It, it um, sort of is also damage limitation because you could go one way and you could make a load of money and be a big company and all that sort of stuff and be successful, but the risk is far greater. And honestly, I'm gonna be on a I'm gonna be on a deserted island for the rest of my life, so the money isn't even gonna do me any good. <laughs> yeah, it literally does not even matter anymore. It you are matter. totally set. Um, <laughs> but speaking of Square Enix. Um, which is a great way to segue into this next game. Wow. This is like podcasting profession right here. <laughs> um, we're going to segue into this next game. Um, split second was, I forgot to mention, the monthly choice, the second monthly choice that you chose. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to move into the next game, which is your second yearly choice. And it's yep. also a game that I've really enjoyed seeing you tweet about when you were playing it because you were sort of the, the flip side of what most... I was seeing, which was people maybe disappointed or they had issues with this game, but you generally really liked this game, and um, mm -hmm. it was really refreshing to see that as someone who also enjoyed this game. So let's listen to what I think is some very, very good music, a wonderful soundtrack, and let's, of course, dive right into the next game. So jumping into Rami's second yearly game. So we're gonna have we have a Metal Gear Solid holiday, and now we're gonna have a Final Fantasy XV holiday. Yep. And this game, of course, being Square Enix, as we just spoke about with IO Interactive, this game was, I would say, successful for them. They had lofty expectations that everyone sort of laughed out when they were talking about the sales figures for this game before release. Um, but it seems to have done pretty well. It was, of course, directed by the one and only Hajime Tabata. We have had previously Ray Chase, Mr. Voice Actor for Noctis himself, on Final Games, which was very interesting. So we've had Prince Noctis, and now we have his game for the first time on Final Games. So, Rami, the next game you are 
you are taking with you to the island of Proteus is the open world role playing game Final Fantasy XV. Rami, yeah. why is it going with you? So here, here, here was the choice I had. I could choose between Morrowind and Final Fantasy XV because I'm a huge Morrowind fan, and it's it's probably uh, for the majority of my life it has been the open world RPG that I loved most. Um, I also really like Golden Sun, but excellent game. Um, it's great yeah, to get a Golden, Golden Sun, Sun mention on the ph- show. I love it. Phenomenal <laughs> game, but um, the thing with Golden Sun is it, it the story doesn't end. In one game, so that would probably make me feel, you know, like yeah, I'm missing the, the out story on the other gets half. passed on to the children of the characters of the previous game. So yeah, yeah, it kind of cuts so, that short, doesn't it? So original Golden Sun, um, if they had done for Golden Sun what they did originally with uh, Final Fantasy VII, where you think you're done and then they open up the second place or the bigger place, that would have been amazing. Uh, if you could just play all of Golden Sun in one game, somebody get on that. Somebody reach out to that studio and like make Golden Sun into one game, please. Um, <laughs> Switch exclusive. Let's bring it back. Yes. Let's just please. get everything on the Switch, please. <laughs> Do, yeah, done. Um, <laughs> but um, I ended up picking Final Fantasy 15, and I think I picked Final Fantasy 15 a large part um, because it is the first. It is the first RPG that I can ever think of where I had fast travel, where I just absolutely refused to use it because the the chance that my team would say something or I'd come across something was so high that uh, I didn't want to miss out on those moments of of the the guys connecting. Yeah. Right. And I have a lot of open world games that I absolutely adore for the ability of stuff you come across. And I was thinking like maybe Just Cause. I really like Just Cause too, you know. But then I realized if I want to play something where I blow stuff up in fun ways, I, you know, I, I'm already bringing uh, the Master Chief collection. Yeah, um, you have Halo to shoot some things and make things blow up. Yeah, so the thing about Final Fantasy XV is I just really enjoy moving around in that world. And I really, I, I've, I've played the game... I've played through the the game and then I've played New Game Plus and now I'm actually watching my mother play the game, which is hilarious and I'll be very sad I won't know how she finishes the game because I'm on a deserted <laughs> island. But maybe we'll get uh, we'll we'll have her make a sort of video interview recap to send to you because I wouldn't yeah. want to spoil that. That sounds fantastic. It's phenom- It's the first game she's ever played and uh, she's been the following first the game industry. Wow. Yep. She's been following my career through the games industry, so she's actually gone through the effort of like reading games news, um, and she does that. She does that as like part of staying in touch with me. Is she reads the news in the games industry, and every now and then, you know, we'll be having a conversation, and she go like, "Hey, didn't you visit Phil the other day?" And I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Which Phil?" She's like, "Tibetowski." I'm like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What, what, what is he up to?" <laughs> oh, you know. Uh, did Octodad do well, Mom? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> she she really keeps up to date on on what um, what is happening in the games I'm industry. Surprised, what is happening? I'm surprised she's not ringing up and being like, "Rami, why do you work in such a depressing industry? <laughs> well, the, every news I read is bad news. What is going she, on?" I think she also reads my Twitter, which is usually I try to keep it optimistic and, and positive. Um, <laughs> well, now but, she can listen to this and see why video yeah. games are so great and so influential. But 
it's so lovely to see her not have all of the metaphors that you know it, a lifetime of playing video games gave us. There, there was this moment in the game where she had to go south to Golden Key at the start of the game, which is like this location where you first meet this character introduced as the suspicious stranger, right? <laughs> and the suspicious stranger has like a black long cape. One of his arms is covered in what looks effectively like a wing. So he's also like a one-winged character. Reference. Um, a reference. Yes, a, a reference. And then um, um, he has a fedora and long purple hair. And he does that thing where <laughs> Japanese evil characters tilt their head back and smirk when they talk. Um, gives and then a his bow, music, because all villains yeah, in Japan give yeah. bows. And he uh, he has this little theme song that goes like, where he's just kind of like, yeah, no, this this guy just not 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 good, not good, it's dangerous. He's either going to be like a secret ally in the final act of the game, or he's going to be the final antagonist, right? Like one of those two. It very much reminds me of a video by former Final Games guest ProZD made about the character you meet who is definitely going to betray you and none of the other NPC characters realize that, but you as the player are always like... Yeah. So, like, 16 hours later, you're like, ha it was me all along. And you're like, and you're oh, like, God, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, come on. Like, it was when they introduced you as backstabbing friend that I knew, but the other characters couldn't read that because it was a text box. Um, but yeah, no, the, the thing was, so my mom went to, to Golden Key for the first time and she texted me and she's like, Rami, I got to a new place. I'm like, where is it? She's like, it's called Golden Key. I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I haven't really explored it yet because I met this suspicious guy and I just ran away. I'm like, oh, who did you meet? She's like, well, I was approaching the place and then there was this guy and he was wearing all black. And I'm like, uh-huh. And she's like... So I decided to, to talk to him, and he tried to sell me weapons. Like, you what? She's like, yeah, I don't know. He, he tried to sell me, like, a bunch of swords, and I didn't trust it, so I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to that location, and right before where you meet this, 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 uh, this character is the shopkeeper. <laughs> and she walked into the shopkeeper. And the shopkeepers were like, hey, psh, wanna, wanna buy guns? She's like, oh no, this is not, I don't trust this at all. So she ran away. And it's so good, like watching that is so good. But it's, it's interesting because I'm just fascinated about the rest of the game because I loved it. I loved the road trip. I loved getting to know the characters, getting to know the world, the, the sort of central struggle and themes of the game. Um, and I wonder how much of that is going to translate to her uh, not having all of these metaphors, right? Um, she's currently stuck trying to beat, um, trying to get one of the uh, one of the, the, um, the the gizmos or one of the the objects in the game that you really need, and it's hidden in a cave, and she can't find the entrance to the cave because she keeps going to the quest marker, which is right where the gizmo is underground. Ah, uh, she's not looking for the like entrance. She's point not looking for the entrance because I've told her that the, she always needs to go towards the quest marker, uh, and it's I have failed to explain to her how to do it uh, over the phone. So I'm gonna go visit and explain to her how to do that soon. This is uh, this is wonderful. I feel 
I feel like I've set myself up for a situation with Final Games where I'm I'm creating a space where these wonderful things cannot happen any longer. I feel <laughs> really sad to not. For one, it feels like your mother won't finish Final Fantasy XV without you. Well, she will have a lot of trouble doing it, but I'm sure if I suddenly disappeared, she would make it a point to finish the game. In so remembrance either way, of her banished it will, it son. It will happen. <laughs> Uh, and I will feel good playing Final Fantasy XV knowing that she did. Does it does it not upset you a little bit that the first video game your mother ever played was Final Fantasy XV and not a Vlambeer game? No, not at all. Vlambeer games are are not. Vlambeer games are are, and I I hate saying it with this word, but I can't get to a better word. It's sort of a connoisseur's game. Like it's it's they are games made for designers. They're games made for people who are interested in the nuts and bolts of game design, who okay. want to feel certain systems tweaked to its max. Yeah. My mom would play it and just go, "I keep dying. What is the fun about this?" And she'd be right. There just genuinely isn't no fun if you don't if, if you, you don't have that little that little curiosity for how a game works and why a game works. I think a, a large like part that of that is... Sort of, it's really interesting having this conversation because it's like we all went to the same school for like 25 years and none of us yeah. ever realized it. And now we all no. have this knowledge that no one else has. Yeah, and no, games are culture. So long. It's weird. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's like I got asked another day for something. Somebody asked me like, what was your role model growing up? And I was like, well... You know, as a Dutch-Egyptian kid, there's not a lot of role models, right? There's not a lot of Dutch-Egyptian game developers that you can look at. I think I yeah. might be the first one. Uh, so I didn't I really have so. a role model. But when I went into the games industry and started meeting the people from the indie scene, I really rapidly felt like I became part of that culture. And in that culture, I had my role models, right? So it's actually being a, a game being a being somebody who plays or makes games, yeah, absolutely. There's a language, there's a culture, there's a you could make the you could you could basically hum the Zelda theme, and in a room you would immediately know who who played that game. Yeah, right. You could make the the exclamation mark sound from Metal Gear Solid, and you could see who's a gamer by the people who look who look up shocked. Right. It's, it's weird because it's become so synonymous. As a culture, and there are so many references to it in other pop culture and stuff that we just sort of don't even think about it. There is this language that sometimes this impenetrable language where it's like, go to the quest marker or speak to the weapon vendor. It's like, in the case of your mother, it's like, yeah, of course, a dude trying to sell you weapons would be suspicious, like in real life. (laughs) So much sense. But it's just something that in a game is like, it's a part of game design how how are you meant to get weapons how else would you get weapons you buy my, them my, my favorite weird. the the moment i realized that this was going to be fascinating to watch was right when you get the first quest this this mechanic cindy fixes your car and then uh, she goes hey prince because you play crown prince noctis of of insomnia this big kingdom um and she goes, hey, Prince, I, I have like a little delivery I need to make to the next outpost. You're going there anyway, so could you take it? And my mom just looks at the prompt and goes like, no, I'm a crown prince. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this has got to be interesting. Uh, because she role-played Noctis immediately, but she didn't 
she doesn't understand the language of games. So I'm effectively teaching her my language, the language of, of the medium I live in. And, and that's, I, I actually really enjoy that. I think it's sort of lovely. I will, I will put you in touch with Ray Chase, who is Noctis, and we'll get a personal farewell message for you being sent to the Banish Island by, by Ray as Noctis to give to your mother. So nice. there's, no, there's no hard feelings for banishing you. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to move on now, Rami, as much as I would love to hear more about your mother's sort of trial <laughs> through Final Fantasy XV. Um, we're gonna move it's on an to ongoing story. It's an ongoing so, story, yeah. It's an ongoing and, story. I tweet about it occasionally. Yes, and we need to have more updates. We need regular. Yes. And because this is a yearly holiday game, maybe we can allow you to return home one every holiday <laughs> to play I Final like Fantasy a video 50. update. Yeah, to get a video update from your mother and how far she's gone. Nice. <laughs> so let's move on to the next game now, which is the uh, the sort of last of the daily games that you've chosen. We, we've also run out of monthly games, but this is the next sort of daily game that you're going to be taking with you, and it's the second to last game on your list, so we're nearing the end now. So let's listen to some music from this next game. And let's, of course, as always, dive straight into it. Moving on now to Rami's second to last game, the seventh game he's going to be taking with him, and the last game he's going to be playing on quite a regular basis, it would seem. Uh, it's actually an expansion. What you put down was an expansion set for a game. Yeah. The game, of course, being StarCraft, created by Blizzard Entertainment and designed by Rob Pardo, as well as written by the wonderful Chris Metzen. It released back on PC in 1998. The expansion is, of course, StarCraft brood war rami is this another sort of creative choice or are you like a starcraft fanatic both oh, um, excellent yeah 1998 was a good year my god um but yeah no starcraft yeah no this was so I, I mentioned at the start of the show that a lot of a lot of when i started playing games i played against my brother and StarCraft was one of those games that I would LAN against my brother and we would get good enough that, you know, we could play and have fun playing against seven AIs on the on the highest possible level. Yeah. Um, and which was hard, but fun. Uh, my brother was always much better than me. Um, and to this day, at most games, he is. Um, but... Uh, what was what was interesting to me is that again it was a game that felt very full it had a very full universe it had 
a giant campaign. It had interesting scenarios, skirmishes. Um, it was just a good strategy game. Um, Well-balanced, interesting choices, different races to play with that were all uh, very, very different in how they played. Uh, so basically, if you just you know, if you just play games with the three different races, you effectively already have three games. So yeah. <laughs> that's nice. Um, but then on top of that, as you as you sort of hinted at, yeah, StarCraft had what I still consider the most user-friendly level editor that I have ever used. Um, and what was special about it is that they exposed um, trigger areas. So where in most level editors, you you get to like place things and that's kind of it. In StarCraft, there was a, sort of a, a minor programming language built in that uh, you could use to make your own maps. And people used it for all sorts of things. People used it to create tower defenses. People used it to create RPGs. People used it to create uh, chess. People used it to create all sorts of things um, that really shouldn't be possible in StarCraft, but because the map editor was so complete and, and so open and so accessible, you could just do that. Um, yeah, that that changed. Again, that was a large part of why I became a game developer was StarCraft made me look at game development in, in a way that was more cohesive, more coherent, more complete, uh, not just program a bunch of stuff but also how do things interact and why do they interact that way and how can we use code and logic to elicit certain feelings or you know response is is an ambush fun to play or is an ambush shit to play right what is <laughs> yeah how how can you make sure that the player feels good finishing something instead of feeling like they sort of glitch their way around it and a well, lot also of, being uh, like challenging at the same point not being just a walkover or feeling making... challenging right yeah absolutely because uh, one of my one of my favorite things is we made this game called Luftrausers a few years ago excellent which is game. This airplane game and i would actually you know how there's a lot of discussion about like what is a game and what is not a game i hate that discussion but i would argue that by most definitions Luftrausers is kind of not really a video game um, and not to say that it isn't a video game or it is or that the discussion has any merit, but what is interesting to me about Lufthrausers is that the scoring system is completely unfair, unreasonable, random, and honestly, you could feel like you're playing the best game of your life and get a tiny score, or you could play <laughs> a horrible feeling game and get a great score. Um, it's not very... It's not really balanced very well. And the thing is, it doesn't matter because you don't play Luftrausers for that. You play Luftrausers to fly a great airplane, do some really ridiculous tricks, get a few kills on all those other airplanes that just feel good and spectacular, and then you're done. And the score, I honestly believe we could remove the score from the game and it would be the exact same thing. It would not. It would not change a bit because that's not why you play Lufthansa. You play Lufthansa to fly that airplane right over the water. For the feeling the that it gives you, the falling and the movement and the momentum yeah. and the gravity. That's that's Lufthansa's, and um, 
that that to me is is so is so interesting that we made a game that feels like a game but it's not at all what people expect to be playing they expect to be playing this high score game but they're playing effectively a feeling bottled into a game like it's a feeling of aggression bottled into a game you're um, playing a game mechanic like that's what you're not playing for any sort of progression reasons or that it's yeah. to have that feeling to yeah. en- elicit that feeling in the player right and, and we have a progression system but really the only reason it's there is to get people to play it long enough to get a feel for that feeling yeah right yeah so there's that's that's sort of a thing that i partially learned from making stuff in starcraft and jw learned from making 300 games a year is a, a large part of the games is not actually about what happens in the computer or on the screen it's what happens in your brain it's what happens in 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 you know in in you as a player that's where the game takes place the the game is just a catalyst right because none of it is real it's all smoke and mirrors it's all numbers and zeros and ones changing but in your brain there's this world and there's this world in which certain things are true and certain dangers are real and you can feel pride or responsibility or regret in a video game, even though they're just, in the case of StarCraft, they're like sprites. <laughs> the, piece, right? the pieces of code that are just working but, on a computer screen. But in your brain, there's so much more. And I think StarCraft, as a, a huge part of that for me, was, was that that level editor gave me that insight. But if I'm stuck on an island, I'm going to make soccer in StarCraft. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make. Like I'm gonna create every possible thing I can in that map editor and just see how far I can push it. Um, let's see if I can make FIFA. Like, I would be so up for playing a StarCraft version of soccer. Like I love oh. soccer. I love StarCraft. Give it to me, Rami. I want to see yep. this. I want to see this well, happen. I'm, I'm sad, but I won't be able to send it to you. Well, I'm the I'm the dungeon master here. <laughs> I, I'm gonna get that copy, and I'm gonna be the only person in the world who's able to play it. <laughs> nice wow as someone who grew up being a programmer uh, uh, well you know i would say being a programmer someone who could program from a very Mm. early age and understood that sort of logic behind it when you sort of were introduced to stuff that had these kind of level editors and did you feel them limiting because you could literally make anything you wanted or was it exciting to see like these triple a games where you could make these things as you said you know it had these triggers being able to see them unfold with the knowledge you had in your brain about design and programming but with the sprites of a triple a game yeah i think i think i never really like the the thing i'm talking about with starcraft is closer to to modding or or level editing or scripting than than actual programming but the the thing is that that distinction never really bothered me all that much like the part that's important to me is the creation and honestly if i wouldn't be making games or um or programming stuff i would probably be doing something with movie or whatever writing i don't know like i i have a need to create stuff and games just happen to be closest to what i think is the 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 most interesting form of creating things to me right yeah. Um, so no matter how 
what kind of tool you give me to make things, I want to play with it. I want to see what it does and how I can use it and how I can break it. Uh, because that's the fun part. Like the fun part for me is how, how can I use this? How can I use this in ways that maybe weren't intended that are fun, right? And back in the days when I barely knew how to program, the, the fact that I could go into a game's files and they would just be plain text and I could just change a number and now my tanks would go uh, 4,000 miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> that was great because what happens if you put all the rate of fires to zero to, to maximum, right? Or the reload times to zero. It's really weird you say that actually because having been someone who in university studied computer science but never really got a grip of programming very much and was always worried because I was on strict deadlines about creating projects or doing stuff at the university that anything that was going wrong was just annoying to me. But now being someone who makes his own games and spends time designing stuff, just fucking around and changing something like a number to see what would happen if you run it and just being like, well, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And then yeah. seeing it happen is like the most fun in yep. the whole world. There is literally nothing more satisfying than the mystery of changing something and then trying to logically in your brain look at the code and be like, hmm, I wonder what that's going to do. And then being like, I actually have no idea. And then when you play it or you run the, the game and you're like, ha, huh, this happened. And you're like, huh, that was really funny or that was really fun. Uh, it, like that, that has been like a feeling to me in recent times that has been really important. And um, I'm sad that I came to this conclusion about this feeling really late because I feel like I could have done something with it long ago. But it is such a great feeling. Welcome. Uh, that's that's it, right? Like that's that's the that's the feeling of creation is a curiosity for the things that you haven't made yet, and and sometimes a little bit of boredom of what you've made already, right? Is this code works? That's great. What if I mess it up? <laughs> exactly. And and I think part of that is really it's it's an attitude that is something you need to you need to um, cultivate and cherish if you want to be a designer is you have to become comfortable with the idea of things not working the way you want and things not going the way you want because that's where you find a lot of the value of what you create. In fact, I would argue that nothing you create is what you intend. Absolutely. Right? I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I feel like you can have these expectations for how you think something's going to work out and you have an idea in your head, but nothing is like from point A to point B to point R the same. It's never going to stay the same. There's going to be so many iterations upon that and so many times when you've been like, well, this works better than that does and what I thought worked really well here doesn't really work anymore. And that's sort of just part of the process, I guess. Yeah, brain, a brain is not a computer, and then more importantly, the computer is not where the game takes place. So your idea of what a game can be or should be are broken because your, your brain just fills in everything that doesn't work, right? If I, yeah. tell you to think of a, if I tell you to think of a castle in the skies and there's a giant dragon knight uh, on the throne, you've just filled in in your brain that entire scene with everything right there's yep. there's the I throne and if i ask right you now. <laughs> yeah if i ask you to think about the carpet you see the carpet and seeing that your 
Um, the Western, presumably a red carpet with like yellow lines on the side or something. And if that wasn't true, because it wasn't filled in, it just turned into a red carpet. It was a red carpet straight away. That was sort of ornate, like a sort of medieval, um, fancy ornate carpet that was red. You want to know something fun? Ask somebody in Japan. They will not give you a red carpet because that's just not how that's not. They don't have that same medieval connection. I think I'd That's be surprised Western. in Japan if they even if I asked them what the floor would be. I don't think they would there say carpet be, anyway. There wouldn't be a carpet. No, I think and if there would be a carpet, it would be white. Probably. Not, yeah, it would definitely not be a medieval red carpet. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of interesting because it means that our our thoughts, our ideas are incomplete, and computers are actually kind of not very smart. They do zeros and ones. It's true or it's false. You give them a color. They fill. They use that color. Um, so if you want to make a scene, you have to make every single detail. You have to make the carpet. You have to make the dragon knight. And honestly, a dragon knight doesn't say anything about what it does. I'm sure you've imagined sort of a sword and maybe you can throw fireballs but what if it was a first person shooter right so our brain just fills that in our brain just makes everything work and then you start making the game and then obviously not everything works and then on top of that we don't have control over the brain of the player so we are what we make is never what we intend because that's just not like people won't appreciate what you make for what you intend to make They'll appreciate it for the reasons they care about it. And for me, StarCraft, I'm sure the level editor was there for um, for small modding purposes, but it probably wasn't there to create some of the stuff I made. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. And, it was probably just to make maps to play more StarCraft to keep that game's yep. replayability going. I, they just made it better than it should have been. That's the thing. Like create just the A lot of creators I talk to fear that they won't make the game that they're dreaming of and I always tell them to stop trying to make that game because people will dream of your game but they'll dream their own dreams they won't dream your dreams you're dreaming as a creator and they're dreaming as a player and if you if you just stop trying to make that game where you you have this set dream of this is what the player experience has to be then you know, it becomes a lot easier and a lot more comfortable to make it. Like, come on, horror games are not meant to be played like with, uh, you know, in in like a, in like a f- with funny music in the background, and in like a disco or something. But I, believe me, <laughs> there are people that play it that way and love it, right? There are people that play SimCity purely as a way to trash their cities with disasters. There are yeah. people that play. It, Populous just to make like cool fireworks. There's people that play Minecraft to, um, to to make uh, computers to make a Game Boy emulator. And there's people that use a game like Destiny, like my fiance did, to propose. And that's all not intentional, but it's all what's beautiful about games is that that weird space between the computer and the player is where the magic happens, and the player brings themselves to that. So stop trying to force their dreams onto yeah. them. Let Just them dream. Let them dream. Be the catalyst. And, yeah, and let them do what they do and bring you those experiences, which are, as you said, you don't want to play an experience that you can think of because that's yeah. something you've already thought of. You want to do something different. And um, just as, as an aside before we move on to your last game, Remy, for anyone who has not read the story about 
Rami and his fiance's proposal, please do, because that is an incredible example of manipulating a game to do as you will. And it is <laughs> incredible and so wonderful. So just as an aside, if you have not read that, please go. Just Google Rami <laughs> proposal. I'm sure you'll find yeah. it on Google. Yeah. <laughs> But we are going to move on to your last game now, and <clears throat> I keep you keep bringing up stuff that makes me sad to be sending you to a deserted island, Rami. Um, Turns out a lot of what I love about what I do has to do with people. It has to do with people indeed, and uh, you have such great stories about these people and uh, the people who are special in your life, and it's been wonderful hearing about them. But we are now going to move on to your last game, the final game of your final games. And um, it's the, the most recent one on your list. Yep. It's also a game that is the last one on the yearly calendar. It's the last holiday on the deserted island of Rami on Proteus. So let's listen to some music from this game. And let's just, as always, dive straight into it. So we have come now to the final game on Rami's list today. As I said, it is the most recent game in on this list. It was released back in February of this year in Japan, and then a month later in March in North America and Europe. It is designed by the crazy, wonderful director of the moment, for sure, the mask-wearing Yoko Taro. And it was <clears throat> developed in conjunction with Platinum Games and Square Enix. It's the sort of sequel to the cult classic in some people's eyes, the, the sort of so-so mm, reviewed Nier that came out last generation. It's the game that I've not played yet. I'm really looking forward to playing it, but I have been in so many conversations about this game because living here in Japan, um, having friends who work in the games industry here in Japan, everyone has sort of had some sort of involvement or know someone who has worked on this <laughs> video game. So I've been in a lot of conversations about this game and it, I don't, I just haven't had a chance to play it yet, but it does seem like it's a pretty special experience. So Rami, the last game that you're going to be taking with you is Neo Automata, or Automata, depending on how you want to pronounce it. So, Rami, please tell me why Nier is the last game that you're going to be taking with you. All right. So, before, before I continue, I do want to point out that now that we've had all the games, a lot of people might realize that there's no indie games on it. That's um, very true, actually. Um, I, I, I guess the open source transport... Yeah, a little kind, bit. A little bit, yeah. But most are triple so, A titles the the thing the thing i started thinking about is i the indie game scene has been my home for the past seven years right and it it has been my my friends and my social circle and my sport group um 
and it's a large part of where I get my inspiration and my drive to create and my drive to travel is, you know, seeing my friends and hanging out with them and talking about games and talking about life and seeing life, their life evolve and grow. And I realized that if I'm going to spend the rest of my life alone on a deserted island, then I probably don't want to bring too much stuff that reminds me of that. Yeah, so you want to phase out, really, of reality. Yeah. And as so, much as it seems bad, but you kind of probably do want to go insane a little bit and lose those memories, maybe, that you have yeah. that make you sad. So I didn't bring Spelunky, even though I would love to, and it would be a perfect game. Um, but, you know, it, it, would, it would probably also hurt a lot, um, especially for the first part, and I think that part is, um, is probably important. So indie games would just make me sad. Yeah. So I didn't bring didn't bring indie games. Um, One day we'll have a Final Games Rami Part Two where it's only eight indie games that you take with you, and we promise nice. they we promise they won't make you sad. We'll do that one. Day. Okay. Nice. Um, but yes, near near Automata was. So you know how how sometimes you have a certain understanding of what a medium is, and then you go, and and experience a something made in that medium and then on the other side you suddenly realize that now you have a different understanding of what it is yeah what it's like a movie or a song or something something that breaks what you know the formulaic sort of boundaries that you've that have over the years yes. sort of progressed but you still that, have always had a grip upon what the formula is that's near near breaks that Near okay. breaks the formula of what a game is. And what is fascinating about it is it does it by being too much of a game, but intentionally so. It is, like you said, it's part is Yokotaro and part is Platinum. And I genuinely believe, having played uh, Yokotaro's earlier output, that he is a phenomenal scenario writer and a phenomenal um, creator. Just has priorities that aren't necessarily the the design of the moment-to-moment gameplay, right? So, yeah, the overall actual sort of gameplay that you're going to yeah. be doing. And he just doesn't prioritize that. So mixing him with Platinum, who might be the masters of moment-to-moment <laughs> the gameplay. The absolute can, masters. Can, it's such a you know, weird, perfect pair. Yeah, it's incredible. But like Platinum with their with their with their history of games, with their Bayonettas and Vanquish, which is incredible, and and uh, even Transformers Devastation was amazing. Um, putting them together with Yokotaro was obviously going to create something weird. Yeah. Um, but Nier takes everything you know about games and uses it the wrong way. It. It takes your understanding of what the beginning and an end of a video game, a video game is, and it flips it on you. It takes characters and it flips it on you. It takes enemies, it flips it on you. It takes areas, it flips it on you. Everything you know about video games doesn't work the way you want it in near, and it feels right. Like the entire story has gut punches that are unlike anything. Um, Unlike anything, because they dare to do the things you should never do in a video game. They they play with your expectations and what you know about games to to use that against you. Um, 
and it's just it's this incredible is this incredible mom it's a monumental video game in that i think every designer should and probably most designers will play um will play near and they will come out of near thinking about their craft slightly differently and i think a lot of that is going to influence what's going to come up in the nearby future um which obviously i won't get to play but you know, <laughs> um, but that's kind of the thing i think near was a game that is incredibly human and about incredibly human issues because the scenario writer yoktaro is is very very good at translating a feeling into um a game moment or a game mechanic or uh, or an arc and that's that's what he did. He made a game about androids and robots and then somehow made it the most humane thing I've like the most humanizing thing I've ever played. Uh, the characters are flawed and broken and um, and all fighting for the wrong things, the wrong reasons and not like in the the traditional reluctant hero kind of way. Yeah. Right. It's not like they go like, oh, I don't want to be the hero. And then they kick a stone and see some, like a car crash into something. And they go like, oh, shit, I should be the hero. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll <laughs> save the world. Like, it's not that. It's it's all just very much people part of a world in which the world is just kind of messed up. And they get to deal with it, whether they want to or not. There's no real other option. And, um, I actually think, in general, Japan's output this year has been incredible this this year uh, has been incredible uh, i mean i obviously am not japanese i'm not really someone who works in the japanese industry but having been in japan now for going on over two years the amount of people i've got to know who work and live in the japanese industry it has been so amazing and incredible seeing this year how <laughs> japan is just sort of is pulling all the punches like all of them all of them. It's, it's fantastic. It's, and it is so great to see it because we have had this weird lull towards the oh, end yeah. of the last generation and the start of this one where people were thinking, you know, not naming any names, Inafune-san, where people are saying the Japanese industry is dead. Yeah. It does not exist. They, they make booby games for the PlayStation Vita and all that kind of stuff. And it has been incredible to see games like Nier Automata and, you know, Nintendo bringing out Zelda and stuff so, like that. It's just... My God, Persona 5, Jakuza 0, Zelda exactly. Breath of the Wild. It's like, just I, incredible. Yeah, it's it's impro it's improbable how much extreme quality has come out of out of Japan. And they're all memorable games. Jakuza 0, I'm going to remember for a long time. And Persona what 5, I'm going to remember for a, <laughs> a long time. But Nier Automata has changed how I think about video games in a lot of ways. And that includes all the weird genre-defying, uh, formula-breaking, anti-formalism uh, games that the indie scene makes, right? They're all weird and strange, and some of my favorite games mess with what a game should be. I tweeted, I tweeted recently about Dungeon by Cactus and Mr. Pedunkian and uh, Moirai, and there's a lot of games that, like indie games, that I love for breaking the frame of games but near being a you know a double a or triple a game like being 
this big of a production and holding that vision that 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 one that need to take games and just sort of like crush it in their hands yeah and then rebuild it into something else that is that is special that is a special moment that is something that we haven't really seen in in a very long time is a game a trip away game that takes games crushes it and then rebuilds it into something new and and yeah i if if i'm going to bring a game that is going to remind me of the moment in life i am now it's going to remind me about what is exciting about games now uh, it's going to be near and i have to say i have a secret hope a secret hope based on a talk i watched recently and i'm I, you know i might be getting ahead of myself recently but in the netherlands there's this guy who was in the games industry for all of his life and then 30 years ago he left and he just never checked back into game development and video games ever again until recently somebody found him and asked him to do a talk at a games conference so okay. he did w with yeah. his knowledge from 30 40 years ago uh, <laughs> and it turns out that those are different worlds and the dreams that they had about what games should be back then are so different from what they are today and, yeah you know we couldn't even talk about the technical part because i would talk about rendering and he would ask what rendering was because <laughs> back in the days it was a rasterizer right you you yeah. wrote pixels you literally wrote the pixel to the screen um and that's not necessarily how we do it nowadays no nope. uh, so ha that was like an interesting weird conversation i think if somehow someday i find a way to turn that magical thing on the island of Proteus into a portal that will take me back for one more talk in the future. I'll play, I'll play near Automata before going back to remind people of what our dreams were today. Today of about what, what breaking the formula hope. of now looking to yes. the future. Because I would want to tell that story because I, I listened to so many legendary developers like warren specter is one of my favorite because warren is somewhat cynical about the state of video games not because he hates video games but you can hear in him this passion of this this burning dream that he had of what right? he expected video games to turn out 20 to be years like. when when he made deus ex what he hoped that games would become what they would be and hearing that passion of that parallel universe in which games went that way instead of this way. I love that. I, it, it, makes me, it makes me hopeful that one day we will find that parallel path and make those games too. And if I'm going to disappear, it might be forever, but in the, in the odd chance that one day I'll be able to return and tell one story, I would tell the story of Nier Automata and the dreams it gave today and i think that's a good a reason as any to then be taking it with you yeah otherwise i forget about i forget <laughs> I I, about what the dream was uh, <laughs> i think it's just this the idea of <clears throat> we have this state in the games industry we do have this sort of we've come to realize we have these circles of um i don't know design i would I feel we have design elements that stick around for long times, for long periods of times that stagnant the market, open world design, then first person shooting design, then 
uh, puzzle design, these sort of trends, trends would be a better word to describe yeah. it. And it does become very formulaic. And it, sometimes you can't see past that, even though we always do past that. Because a game like Neo Automata comes out and shows everyone that you can do something different. And then we break from that trend and we start making games very similar to that or doing something similar in that vein. And then that's the trend for the while, for a while and then something else. So it is really interesting when games like Nier come out and just, you know, people like yourself who are these influential designers look at it and like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is incredible. This is this breaks the formula not only like of the trend now but like of video games in general and is almost like carving a path for like an alternate future to what we're heading on now in terms of like and design if, and that kind of thing and then eventually that will get stale and we'll yeah, that, try that, something that, new that, like, that's exactly what i mean yeah the trend you, you know, then will be to follow that and then something will have to break that eventually I think my favorite thing about working in games has been every time somebody has asked me, what do you think the games industry will look like in five years? I go, I don't know. And if I did, I would leave. Right. And <laughs> you can ask me that same question for a year from now or six months from now. And I genuinely would not know. I can have the, the closer we get to now, the more of an idea I have of what I believe will happen. But the reality is everything changes so fast. We're on this weird this weird like intersectional point between technology which changes all the time and games which change all the time and the internet which changes all the time and the economic models that change all the time and the cultural awareness of the world which changes all the time and then all of these platforms all of these different subsections of the industry the old games the indie games the experimental stuff the triple a games the, the double a triple i whatever you want to call yeah. it uh, the mobile the games, tiers. the free-to-play games, the the the, um, the strange MMO games, the esports scene, like all of this is VR, AR, MR. I don't know all of them. Everything is changing all the time, and you're effectively in this roller coaster, just trying to grasp at things that come by you. Yeah. Right? Just like, what about this thing? Oh, that's an apple. Cool. Like, what can we do with this? Mm. Um, for me, that's that's part of why games are so exciting is because it, it's like we, we, we find a trend and then as soon as we find it, we're unhappy about it. Uh, and it just, it always feels like the industry takes a long time to do something new. But the reality is it just takes a long time to make games. That's what I was going to say. Like one thing people forget, and it was brought up recently, is that what you're playing now is the ideas someone had three years ago. Or four years yeah. ago, and this is the, there are going to be ideas forming now from people who've played games like Near Automata that you're not going to see as a response until like three years down the line, and yep. this is a thing that people forget. Like people see these trends and they're like, "Oh my god, everyone's making video games like that right now." Well, they didn't realize that like four years ago when they started the pre-production of this game. That this it's like I think we were talking about the the I think I was talking about it with Mike last week. The, the you know this open world sort of bonanza we had with Breath of the Wild and Horizon and those games being comparative to each other and people thinking oh it's kind of a shame that they came out at the same time although both uniquely different games but yeah. people think oh are these responses to like The Witcher 3 or stuff like that and actually when you think of the timeline it's more of a response to like 
Far Cry 2 or Far Cry yeah. 3 in the yep. sense of th- this is how the industry works. Games take a long time to make. And the yeah. ideas that people have now are not ideas you're going to see until three or four years down the line. And it's people actually do really, forget that. It's a really fun exercise if you're a, if you're a developer or a creator is when you play a game, try to figure out when they started working yeah. on the game and then what this is a response to. Uh, I was really surprised because that doesn't just it, it's not just mechanics for example uh, both Mass Effect and um, Horizon Zero Dawn have a location called Meridian as sort of a, a central plot point which is weird but I'm going to guess that when those games started being made there was something going on that made people feel that that word was accurate it's an astronomy term um, but Clearly, there's something in the water if two games use that same as a central location uh, in their game. Or uh, how both Titanfall 2 and Dishonored 2 had time-traveling mechanics and came out yeah. about the same time. How Split Second <laughs> and Blur were combat racers that came out with... The like, same people time, don't yeah. have ideas in a vacuum. They have no. ideas, as we said earlier, in this shared culture, this the shared awareness... Industry is an echo chamber as well. So these things are always being batted around by so many different people that you interact with on a daily basis, whether it's through Twitter or people who you work with or watching game publications and games media as well. Um, It is, as you said, it's (laughs) this shared collective almost. So it's always interesting to see where does does an idea come from? What is it a response to? Because I feel a lot of the industry is reactive, right? We play something, we go, I would have done that. Um, what, if, what if this? What if that? What if, like, you know, what about my previous game? What would I do different about it? What about this other person's game? What about this thing I saw? What about this thing I read? It's always a bit reactive, but it's always reactive to now. Yeah, absolutely. So, but it comes with a delay of two to three years. And it isn't so like it's music always- where maybe you could have like a like a song or an album or a band or a style of music and then that music becomes incredibly popular look at like dubstep or something that becomes very yeah. popular instantaneously because the turnover in such is like 1 to 6 months yep but as we said video games take a long time to make and the ideas of now are ideas that will be a trend off the basis of games like neo automata like in 3 4 years so it yep. is this strange but intriguing sort of exercise, as you said. Or, or you go check out itch.io and you check out all the weird game jam stuff that gets made nowadays. And then, you know, maybe you can kind of look at what might be in the water now because those games get made in, in two days for a game jam or something yeah. like that. I always find that very interesting that I think one of the, one of the most fun things I've realized is that Indian and AAA, people always attribute this weird uh, rivalry between the two. But they they coexist and actually feed off of each other. Like indie is inspired by AAA games to start making games frequently. Yeah. Um, or you know by other indie games, um, they take what they hate about the AAA games or don't like about the AAA games and turn that into creative energy. Um, and then they make their stuff. And then the AAA industry looks at the the indie games that you know rise to to visibility. And then they are inspired back by those. So I actually think that's quite a healthy um, and generally respectful 
relation, like symbiosis between. It's the even two. come to the point where the line is sometimes blurred as well. Oh, where yeah. You have a release by a company. Um, I can't really think of one off the top of my head. Where previously it would be like a a double A game, or you know, not like a massive title on PlayStation Two or something like you know, sort of standard release. And you're like, is this an indie game? Or is this a yeah. studio release? Or I'm not really it's, sure. And sometimes the line is blurred. It's such a useless conversation. What AAA <laughs> and what indie game? Like, what is game? What is art? Like, all these discussions are... Like, how I understand can a game like that. Minecraft, for example, just to use the most successful indie game, yeah. how can the game that's sold the most copies of, like, any video game ever be an indie game comparatively yeah. commercially um still if it's sold that many like what is the where, where do you draw the line yeah. is it the team but then that the question is exercise? yeah then the question is where do you define indie and the honest truth is i don't really care where anybody defines indie i have my own definition of indie and i will use it and i don't care whether anybody else's it's just definition. how you do it isn't it it's, it's different yeah yeah i i am me i have certain views of the world and indie is not a word that's worth fighting over it's not <laughs> it just isn't if you want to call yourself an indie if if ea games comes out tomorrow and says well we're an indie developer sure sure that's, you made unravel oh, that's kind of yeah. an indie game isn't yeah, yeah and, it, it, it's they, a thing isn't it but you go back far enough in time and of course they were indie back in the days they were indie like when did they cross that line who cares when they crossed it like it's just not it doesn't like <laughs> i care a lot about words but similarly to games the word you have in your head is not is just not the word that happens in other people's brains words are abstracts if i say the weather right now is good and you live in texas then what you're imagining of my weather is not what i'm imagining looking out of the window even words are fallible all communication between people is fallible and that's actually kind of exciting yeah, because it means the same word will trigger different things, different opportunities, different different conversations with different people, which I will never have again because I'm going to be on a deserted island. <laughs> which, speaking of, unfortunately, <laughs> um, it is time to send you to the island no. of Proteus, and I don't think I've ever been sadder to send a guest away who's told me some such fantastic stories about the connections between peoples and games, which is what this show is all about. So, Rami, I'm, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. I am, I'm sad that Adriel hasn't come home yet. I don't even get to say bye. <laughs> we'll give you not five to make you feel, not, not to make you feel guilty or anything. Anymore. You know. Any, anymore. <laughs> You're making me feel guilty anymore. I mean, the, your mother in Final Fantasy Fifteen was enough. And yep. then the, you were trying to sweeten me up with the talk about near Automata in like 30 years' time. Um, yep. you, you're trying, trying your best. But I must stick yep. with the rules of Final Games or for myself, be banished. That's probably in the contract somewhere. But right. Remy, I respect that. <laughs> there is one final question I have to ask you before I send you away, though. Okay. And that is, um, we've spoken a lot about video games today. This is Final Games, after all. And mm -hmm. one of the very important things about playing video games, um, especially for someone like you who grew up without playing a console, um, <clears throat> is console game, consoles and the way we play games, You know, whether it be PC or not, is very important. 
everyone sort of has a preference everyone sort of enjoys what they are comfortable with and over the years everyone is sort of we have this weird fanboyism for some areas and it becomes stupid but you know the way we play games is very important so we have talked about games but i have to ask you if you were going to go to a deserted island i mean if you were i mean you are yeah. If you can only take one console with you, because we can't give you a PC, unfortunately, because you could emulate anything you were, you would like. Uh. So we can't do that. I'm sorry. Um, mm. But if you could take any console with you, bearing in mind the back catalog of that console and the controller and all that sort of stuff, if you could take any console with you, what console would you take? Ooh. Hmm... Any console. Wait, but I but I get these eight games anyway. You get these eight games anyway, so it doesn't matter. And whether I can you play choose. them anyway. Yes, Just... you can play them anyway, but that that oh, is yeah. the only game on that console. So with oh, yeah. we're talking about if you had the the pleasure of having one back catalog. Oh, I would have the entire console. Ooh. Hmm. So is it quality Actually, over quantity, or is it the console itself? This is that kind of question. Oh, this is rough. I, I was just I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about how the Wii U is probably one of the the least good consoles in terms of hardware, but one of the best in terms of top game. Like the best games on the Wii U are so good. Yes, um, agreed. I will fight that. But, I will fight that to the death for sure. But then the Super Nintendo is really cool because I used to have like a a bootleg PlayStation that was actually a PlayStation, which was actually a Nintendo. <laughs> Uh, my dad accidentally bought that when I told him to to buy me a PlayStation, and he came home with a PlayStation, and it, my Final Fantasy VII disc didn't fit. It was very sad. Oh god. Um, um, you know what? I would probably go with something. I would. I'll take the Xbox 360. That is a good most, shot. Most of the games that. I remember very dearly that if I would have, you know, like a, a, a large catalog of games and weird games to play on, there would be Alpha Protocol, Binary Domain, Earth Defense yeah. Force, Alan Wake, Vanquish, um, Split Second, uh, Blur. Blur. There would be so, yeah, there would be, there would be, the Xbox 360 is, I think, the console that carried me through most of my my console years um and even though i love my playstation 4 at the moment i think a large part of what makes playstation 4 tick is a lot of the social features and that wasn't a thing yet with xbox 360 i mean you had achievements and you had a friend list but all of those games just work so um yeah xbox 360 well we will give you the xbox 360 and the games that come with it and we will also take let you take with you the eight games that you have chosen that you have told me some wonderful stories about and uh unfortunately we're gonna wave you off very sadly because i i wish this conversation could go on for a lot longer so rami thank you so much for joining me on final games today it's been an absolute pleasure i feel like i made a mistake because now i'm going to an island (laughs) (laughs) that's part of why you signed up this is as soon as i i first got in contact about this this was all about going to the island so now it is time it's like that horrible thing when you sign up for something whether it's i don't know something you don't want to do let's for example like skydiving and you're like yeah Yeah. (laughs) let's do it and then comes to the moment you have to jump out of the plane yeah fuck it god well island it is let's do it thank you so much for having me this was really fun i'm so glad you had fun remy so please tell the listeners who have made it so far 
where they can find you, what of Vlambeer and you personally they should be checking out. Of course, I've already mentioned the wonderful story about you and your fiance. Um, so what what should they be checking about of Rami? Well, they can read everything I've ever tweeted up until the point I get sent to this deserted island over on Twitter. T-H-A uh, underscore Rami. All the games I've made before being sent to this island over at Vlambeer.com or just search for Vlambeer on whatever platform you buy games on um or there's some of them are freeware um and if you want to get in touch directly if you go to rami ismail which is my full name um i'm sure it'll be somewhere on this podcast description yes it um then um then you can find me there and send me an email or you know whatever um that's kind of it. Like, I'm afraid I won't be able to do social media from there, but I, I, tweeted, I tweeted a lot in the past few years, so there's a lot to read. There's a lot to catch up on, and there's uh, some Final Fantasy 15 mother updates in there as well that you'll enjoy reading. So thank you so much for listening to Final Games. Once again, as always, you can find Final Games on SoundCloud, you can find it on iTunes, you can find it on Stitcher, Acast, and all those wonderful podcast networks. Pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, you will find Final Games. You can also rate and review the show because that really helps us out, and it's great to always just see feedback. If you do want to email the show, you can. It's Final Games podcast at gmail.com and you can also of course find us on twitter as well where we might not have mother final fantasy 15 updates which is way more interesting than anything we post but you can find final games at final games show and you can also find me personally tweeting about video games in japan as always at liam bme so once again thank you so much for listening to final games and i hope to see you again next week but for now goodbye